Hello and welcome everybody to the Effective Altruism Form Weekly Podcast. This week we are covering February 20th through the 26th. And of course, this is the podcast where we summarize and discuss the top conversations and top top upvoted articles on the Effective Altruism Forum from that previous week. So thank you all for tuning in. And as always, thank you to Zoe Williams for writing these amazing summaries. Thank you to Type 3 Audio for helping to upload these to the RSS feed. And thank you, of course, to Rethink Priorities for the general support. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Starting off with the philosophy methodologies section for the week, we have an article called Make RCTs Cheaper, Smaller Treatment, Bigger Control Groups by Rory Fenton. So this piece covers one of the big problems in statistical analysis of overall impact. When you have, for example, a really expensive relative to data collection intervention, that could be for medicine specifically, perhaps, or another intervention source, you can maximize statistical power for a given cost by using a larger control group relative to a smaller treatment group. This can hopefully bridge some of the issues that emerges when you just do not have enough funding to do a decent number of trials for a very expensive intervention. The optimal ratio, Rory Fenton points out here, of treatment sample control sample is the square root of the cost per treatment participant divided by the square root of the cost per control participant. For a clearer picture of the maths behind it, you can go ahead and take a look at their article. Moving on to the object level interventions and reviews, jumping right into the existential hazard or potential existential hazard of artificial intelligence, we have a post coming to us from Holden Karnofsky called What AI Companies Can Do Today to Help with the Most Important Century. Some of the grounded suggestions from Holden Karnofsky are that major AI companies could do the most good through some of the four following points. First, prioritizing alignment research. Second, avoiding hype and acceleration. Third, preparing for difficult decisions via setting up governance, employee, and investor expectations to allow for decisions that aren't profit maximizing. And four, balance the above with conventional and financial success. Diving more deeply into this, for Prioritizing alignment research, stronger security, and safety standards, Holden recommends figuring out what behaviors are dangerous and what to do if they are seen. Your response and control methods are critical to get correct there. When it comes to avoiding hype and acceleration, this includes things like publishing fewer flashy demos or breakthrough papers. Whereas preparing for difficult decisions via governance, employee, and investor expectations is pretty self-evident there. You just want to have the correct incentive behavioral structures in place. And for balancing the above with conventional and financial success, this is, Holden points out, just critical because you need to be able to stay relevant as an AI company. The next post we have is by RGB and it's called What to Think When a Language Model Tells You It is Sentient. So RGB argues here that uh, statements by large language models, excuse me, (laughs) that seem to report their internal life, statements like, I feel scared because I don't know what to do, or my favorite color is blue because I love how it looks, things that relate qualia, as uh, Dennett would say, are not straightforward evidence either for or against the sentience of that model. As an analogy, parrots are probably sentient and very likely feel pain. However, when a parrot says they feel pain, that doesn't mean they are in pain. 
it might be possible to train systems to more accurately report if they are sentient via removing any other incentives for saying conscious sounding things and training them to report their own mental states. However, this could advance dangerous capabilities like situational awareness and training on self-reflection might also be what ends up really, really dangerous when it comes to transformative artificial intelligence. The last artificial intelligence related post for the week is called What Is It Like Doing AI Safety Work by Kat Woods and Peter Barnett. This is a overview of interviews with 10 AI safety researchers on their day-to-day experience that Barnett and Woods had uh, that include their favorite and least favorite parts of the job. Definitely worth the read. Now moving on to the animal welfare section for the week. The first post we have is by Ben West and it's called EU Food Agency Recommends Banning Cages. The European Commission requested scientific opinions and recommendations on animal welfare from the European Food Safety Authority, the EFSA, ahead of a legislative proposal in the second half of 2023. The recommendations of EFSA published include cage-free housing for birds, avoiding all mutilation and feed and water restrictions in broiler breeders, and substantially reducing stocking density. That's the density at which they live. And best of all, these results from the EU Food Agency recommending banning cages is probably partially the result, at least, of EA-affiliated animal welfare organizations. Right on, right on, guys. That's wonderful to hear. The next article we have in the animal welfare section is called Announcing the Launch of the Insect Institute by Dustin Crummit, or Crummit. The Insect Institute is a fiscally sponsored project of Rethink Priorities, which focuses on the rapidly growing use of insects as food and as feed. It will work with policymakers, industry, and others to address key uncertainties involving animal welfare, public health, and environmental sustainability. You can sign up for their email list via the option at the bottom of their homepage. Now moving on to the global health and development section for the week. The first section, or excuse me, the first article we have is called Why I Don't Agree with HLI's Estimate of Household Spillovers from Therapy. That is the Happier Lives Institute by James Snowden. In its cost-effectiveness estimate of strong minds, Happier Lives Institute, HLI, estimates that each household member, average about five in each household, benefits from the intervention 50% as much as the person receiving therapy itself. This is partially based on three RCTSs, which had interventions specifically targeted to benefit household members. Therapy for caregivers of children with noting syndrome, which include the addition of noting syndrome-specific content, for example, and where only those expected to benefit most were measured. The third was incorrectly read as showing benefits to household members when the evidence was actually mixed depending on the measure used. The author argues this means household benefits were significantly overestimated in these specific research studies, and they speculatively guess them to be closer to 5-25% to ranges of impact per mental health intervention. This would reduce the estimated cost-effectiveness of strong minds from nine times to three to six times cash transfers. In the comments, Happier Lives Institute has thanked James for this analysis and acknowledged the points as valid, noted the lack of hard evidence in the area, and also shared their plans for further analysis using a recent paper from 2023. Moving on to the next article, which is called Immigration Reform, a Shallow Cause Exploration 
by Joel McGuire and Samuel Dupret. This is a report of a two-week-long investigation, or should I say a short investigation, on the impact of immigration reform on subjective well-being, SWB, including a literature review of BOTECs on the cost-effectiveness of interventions. The authors find potential large impacts to subjective well-being from immigrating to countries with higher overall reported subjective well-being measurement levels, but they are uncertain based off of their shallow cause exploration on the effect size or how it changes over time. All estimates below are highly uncertain, best guesses based on their model. This is three points specifically. Immigrants gain an immediate and permanent 70, 70, or 77% of the difference in subjective well-being between their origin and destination country upon immigrating. Household members left behind show a small positive spillover of around 0.01 well-bees per household member, that is, per household member who immigrated. Lastly, the authors suggested that based off their research so far, they found some potential evidence suggests that when the population or proportion of immigrants in a new community increases by around 1%, there is a small and non-significant negative spillover for natives, around negative 0.01 wellbees per person. However, the research on this final point specifically is still loaded with questions uh, and requires a lot more research. Of the interventions investigated to increase immigration, the most promising was policy advocacy, which the authors estimated at 11 times cost-effectiveness of give-well cash transfers on subjective well-being. Moving on to the community and media section for the week, we have Introducing Ease, a managed directory of EA organization service providers by Dina Englander, Jamie RV, Marcus Amathia, Magnuson, Eva Fieldkep, Maddie Rohr, Roy, excuse me, Daniel Wernstead, and George Wind. EASE, standing for EA Services, is a directory of independent agencies and freelancers offering expertise to EA-aligned organizations. Vendors are screened to ensure they're true experts in their fields and have experience within EA. And if you'd like to join the directory, you can apply for the screening listed in the article. Uh, however, if you'd like to use the services, instead you can contact the agency's listed directory or email info at easervices.org for suggestions for your needs and available budget. The next community and media post is EA Global in 2022 and Plan for 2023 by Eli Nathan. In 2022, the EAG team ran three EAGs with 1.3 to 1.5 attendees each. These events averaged a 9.02 to 10 response to a question on if participants would recommend EAGs and caused at least 36,000 new connections to be made. This is heavily underreported as most attendees didn't fill out the feedback form as well. In 2023, they plan to reduce spending, primarily on travel grants and food, but still will do three EAGs. They now have a team of around four full-time employees and will focus on launching applications earlier and improving response speed, swap card, and communications. Check out the original post to find the full list of confirmed and provisional EAG and EAGX events for 2023, uh, and I hope to see some of you guys there. The next article is by Holden Karnowski, and it's called Taking a Leave of Absence from Open Philanthropy to Work on AI Safety. Holden Karnowski, the co-CEO of Open Philanthropy, is taking a minimum three-month leave of absence from March 
8th to explore working directly on AI safety, particularly AI safety standards. They may end up doing this full-time and joining or starting a new organization. This is due to believing that transformative AI could be developed very soon and that they could have much more impact with direct work on it, in addition to personal fit towards building multiple organizations over running one indefinitely. The next article is called A Statement and an Apology by Owen Cohen Barrett and EV UK Board Statement on Owen's Resignation by the EV UK Board. The recent Times article on EA and sexual harassment include a case involving an influential figure in EA. In this post, Owen Cohen Barrett confirms that this was him during an event five years ago. He apologizes and gives full context on what happened from his view, what generalizable mistakes he made that contributed, and what actions he's taking going forward. This includes resigning from the EV UK board and pausing other activities which may give him power in the community. These are things like starting mentoring relationships, organizing events, or recommending projects for funding. Owen's behavior was reported to Julia Wise, CEA's community liaison in 2021, who shared it with the EV UK board shortly after the Time article came out. Julia has also apologized for handling the situation and not reporting it, and shared that the actions that were taken at the time of this incident was first reported to her, as well as the time in between then and now in the comments. The EV UK board is commissioning an external investigation by an independent law firm into both Owen's behavior and the community health team's response. The next article is by Graydon, and it's called Bad Actors Are Not the Main Issue in EA Governance. Leaders can fail in four ways. Bad actors, well-intentioned people with low competence, well-intentioned high-competence people with collective blind spots, or the right group of the people with bad practices. The author argues EA focuses too much on the bad actors angle of this, and this incentivizes boards to hire friends or those they know socially to reduce this risk. They suggest we stop this behavior and instead tackle the other three risks via first, Learning from models of leadership in other communities and organizations. Look outside of EA for recommendations on how to best hire or best find the right fit for the job. This can be used to elevate competence at soft skills since EA has few experienced leaders to learn from. Second, recognizing that seeing one's own faults is difficult and being open to external expertise and hiring those dissimilar to ourselves can be really good ways and empirically based ways to identify these blind spots. And third, CEOs and boards should create the right environment for effective decision making. This includes things like CEOs speaking last, creating incentives for employees to be honest, and taking difficult decisions to the board for input. On the board side of things, the boards can avoid executions, avoiding not talking a lot about something that they aren't exactly independent on, and evaluating their own performance and composition are all additional methods to improve EA governance. The next article is called Who is Uncomfortable Critiquing Who? Around EA by Ozzy Gowen. This article discusses the specific barrier to feedback of things being uncomfortable to say and how this affects the availability of criticism between different groups. Specifically, the article covers a handful of points. First, it evaluates global welfare. It evaluates long-termism, EA funders slash leaders by community members, evaluation of community members by funders and leaders, evaluation of adjacent groups by EAs more broadly, evaluation of EA by adjacent groups more broadly, and evaluation of EA critics by EAs. 
The article suggests, and that is the author of the article suggests, that EA look at specific gaps in feedback and from which groups, as opposed to asking, quote, are we open to feedback more generally? The specificity is what allows the feedback to be the most impactful or most effective. The next article is by Patrick Sudomen, and it's called Consider Not Sleeping Around Within the Community. The author suggests considering not sleeping around, that's things like one-night stands, friends with benefits, casual dating with multiple people at one time, within the EA community, due to its tight-knit nature increasing associated risks. For instance, someone who is pursued and declined may end up having to interact with the pursuer in professional capacities down the road. They suggest this is particularly the case for those with any of the following additional risk factors. High status within EA, and or a man pursuing a woman, and or socially clumsy. There's a large amount of discussion on both sides in the comments. The next article is titled Consent Isn't Always Enough by Jeff Kaufman. As of late, there's been a lot of discussion within EA around how EA culture and practices did or didn't contribute to the situation relating to the New York Times article. This discussion has included some suggestions like discouraging polyamory or hookups within EA. And this has caused others to argue what happens between consenting adults behind closed doors is no one else's business. The author argues consent, however, isn't always actually enough, though, particularly in cases with imbalanced power. There's things like grantees and grant makers hooking up. Organizations handle these conflicts in ways such as requiring a professor to either resign or not pursue a relationship with a student or a grant maker to disclose and recuse themselves from responsibilities relating to evaluating a grantee they're in a relationship with. This is pretty uncontroversial and is extremely widespread in most power systems within the free market and also within governments more generally. The lack of this question being controversial shows that the question that we should be asking ourselves right now is what norms we should have around this and not whether if it is legitimate or not at all to have norms beyond consent. Moving into our special mentions, selection of posts that didn't quite meet the karma threshold, but seem important or undervalued. We have first an update from Mental Health Funder Circle by W. Troy. The Mental Health Funder Circle supports organizations working on cost-effective and catalytic mental health interventions. It held its first grant round in the fall and winter of 2022, and they have now distributed $254,000 total to three organizations. These organizations are Vida Plena for Community Mental Health in Ecuador, Happier Lives Institute for Work on Subjective Wellbeing and Cause Prioritization, and Rethink Wellbeing to support mental health initiatives in the EA community. The next round of funding is now open, and you can apply by April 1st. And the last post of the week, another special mention, is called Cyborg Periods. There will be multiple AI transitions by John Colvitt and Rose Hodshar. So the authors here suggest that there are different domains that potential cyborg periods would move through. And by would, I really mean may, because this is the future of technology right here. Uh, as you can tell, I'm quite excited about this. But so I'm going to say the different name of the different periods, and then uh, I'll also be giving current day examples uh, immediately after. So the first one is the human period. Humans are more powerful than AI. That's right now, hint, hint. These are things like alignment research and business strategy. Step two, cyborg period. This is human merging with AI more powerful than humans or AIs individually. This is things like visual art or programming beyond human capabilities. 
And third, the AI period. AIs are more powerful than humans and approximately equal to humans plus AI teams in this phase. Modern day examples of this are Chest, Shogi, and Go, for example. The authors point out that transitions into the cyborg period will be incredibly impactful in some domains. Domains like research, human coordination, persuasion, cultural evolution are all primary examples of this. Which domains transition first also lends itself to different threat models and human response models. For instance, moving faster on automating coordination relative to automating power or on automating AI alignment research relative to AI research in general could both reduce the risk. The authors also argue that cyborg periods may be brief but pivotal moments in human history involving key development and deployment decisions and essential risk minimization work. To make the best use of this time, of this point of leverage over the far future, we'll need to have sufficient understanding of AI systems' strengths and weaknesses, novel models of factoring cognition, modifying AI systems towards cyborg uses, and practice working in human AI teams in existing cyborg domains. Well, that is our show for the week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. As always, once again, thank you so much to Type 3 Audio, to Rethink Priorities, and to the wonderful Zoe Williams. My name is once again Colin Snell. And as always, remember to stay engaged in the things that bring you a sense of meaning and passion and cultivate that passion in regard to the work in effective altruism and existential risk mitigation that is oh so critical for the cyborg and non-cyborg future of humanity. <laughs> but I'll see you guys all next week.